This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. A grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Farm So Hard Podcast. I'm your host today, Jim Pruitt, aka Farm D and the ED. And today I'm joined by And I'm Dan McCollum, also collaborating on this project to release this with the EM Basic crowd as well. So today we're gonna talk about how to use your pharmacist. And this can be for a few different situations. It can be in a case where you have a program that's already been established from a medical side and you've never had a pharmacist and you're just now getting them. Or it's beginning of July, interns are just coming in and you wanna see, hey, as an intern, how can I best utilize my pharmacist? So I'll be honest, Jimmy, I was fighting to get clinical pharmacists in the emergency department for years before you guys came in roughly a year ago. And uh, I knew that y'all would be helpful, and I, I was really wrong uh, because you're way more helpful than I had any clue at all. There were all these little problems that things could have been tightened up, you know, post-intubation sedation issues, uh, antibiotic selection, just the sheer number of drugs that we were we were using downstairs without really having the expertise to always pause and make sure we weren't doing something silly with drug-drug interactions. So I'm really, really happy with the, honestly, the very expansive role that y'all have had to make a lot of positive change at our department. It's great. It's been phenomenal to be there and be welcome because you know, when you come and you want people to embrace you, but it's been more than just receptive. And this has been a phenomenal experience that I've had and my colleagues have had. And I think most ED pharmacists would agree the best thing in the world is when you get there and they're like, hey, we're happy you're here. So that's been phenomenal. So, Jimmy, just for the EM basic crowd that might not have had the privilege of working in an emergency department with an ED clinical pharmacist, what exactly is this? What are, what are the different roles that a pharmacist might play in the emergency department? So I think it's good to look at what are all the pharmacists that they may they may experience within the hospital. So you're going to have your central pharmacist or the one that's in main pharmacy. And their particular role is going to be the logistics of getting the medicine from your order to the patient at the bedside. And there is a host of things that's going to go on there. And you may not see these individuals, but they may contact you via your EMR system. They may page you to say, hey, maybe this dose could be a little better or maybe we want to use this product. So those going to be your pharmacist going to be. Um, the centralized role and more of an operational. And then you're going to have clinical pharmacists. And these individuals may be, you may see them rounding with you. If you had an ICU rotation, you've definitely ha- had them at the bedside because those have been the pharmacists that's been in a clinical role for the longest period of time. And then we're going to talk about what's an ED clinical pharmacist. It's a hodgepodge of like a medicine pharmacist, a logistical pharmacist, uh, operational pharmacist, and then combining your critical care pharmacist as well. And what our role really Yes, and I think it's it's very easy when I say that it's to get it from the brain to the vein. You know, if <laughs> if, if you want something, we try to do it in the safest, most effective, and quickest way possible. So, for example, a patient comes in with chest pain, and you know this patient should have aspirin on board, but your ED clinical pharmacist also know that because he's read the studies, he's able to see that the patient's in chest pain, and he's he heard you call for troponin level, so he's already had the aspirin at the bedside waiting for you. So I think that's the next level versus getting it to the bedside for one sound and versus understanding what 
the literature says, understanding what the patient looks like, and understanding how to anticipate the needs to get this from your brain to the patient's vein. I love that. Brain to vein, that, that's, that's good stuff. <laughs> so let's say that I was a, a, a shiny new medical student. I'm doing my emergency department rotation, and, and I see one of these ED clinical pharmacists, and I'm wondering like, hey, is, is it okay to ask them questions? Can they help me out? If I'm really confused about some patient complaint and about the specific therapies I want to give, is this someone that could help me out with that? Absolutely, Dan. I think for a lot of the medical students, I think one thing that you want to realize is that we really want to work with you. We want you to have the best information before you go present your patient to your upper level or your attending. And what you can do is say, hey, I have a patient that has a UTI. I'm confused about, you know, there's a host. I looked them up to date and they gave me 18 antibiotics to use. <laughs> um, for this patient, which one should we use? And we can help and from the teaching standpoint, understanding what our hospital guidelines would say, what our antibiogram would say, and give you a one recommendation that, hey, for our antibiogram, for our hospital, for this patient that has no history of drug-resistant organisms, maybe we should start off with ceftriaxone. If you're going to bring them into the hospital, if you're going to send them home, we, can, we have a host of different things we can do as Keflex, Ocmentin, Nitrofurantoin, and then give you the dose for that as well. Because a lot of times they give you the name of the drug, but they don't give you the dose. They don't adjust for renal function. And this is how a, a clinical pharmacist can help a medical student within the EDA or throughout the hospital. Absolutely love that. Uh, for a lot of more junior residents, so interns and whatnot, or medical students, you're practicing in a brand new environment. And so if you trained in Cleveland, the antibiotic resistance is going to be very different than here in Augusta. And so utilizing the pharmacist to ask specifically at this institution, what do we tend to use for fill-in-the-blank problem? This also fills in a, a huge gap that I see in, in medical student education, which is we tell you the broad classes of drugs, but we don't really tell you specifically how to use them. So your, your plan that might be using an IV cephalosporin, but you're telling them to go home on it, they're, they're going to identify that that's not going to quite work, um, as well as what locally, why is it that we do what we do? And this really elevates you from doing that basic level of this person with cystitis needs some antibiotic to being able to tell that upper level resident or attending that you're presenting to, this is specifically the antibiotic I want to use and here's why. Absolutely. I think when, when you're when you're a junior um, physician or a PA or, or a mid-level at all, when you come, I think having a good question, because a lot of times we, as a pharmacist, we're taught that the first question is not necessary, that the question that should be answered and we should dig for more information. But again, for example, for this patient that came in with a UTI, I think having some background information when, when asking a question helps out. For example, hey, this patient came in with flank pain. Um, they've also had a UA that was done that shows, you know, they have a, a white cow, they have leukoesterases, they have a few different things, and say, and then we want to send them home. So being very specific about what you want to do because that changes the game plan for us. So your question is going to be super important. And when you provide this information to your attending or upper level resident, it helps out saying, I did this antibiotic, uh, this recommendation from the pharmacist due to these factors. And I think having a great question can give you a great answer. And that's the thing that really helps us out is we want to know exactly what you want to do so we can give you an answer and tell you why that answer is correct. And we can all um, learn and the patient all benefits in a reasonable amount of time. That's awesome, Jimmy. I also really want to emphasize how important it is to, to communicate early with these um, individuals. The 
clinical pharmacists that I've worked with, both upstairs in the ICU as well as the emergency department, they're all people persons. Like they chose clinical pharmacy for a reason. And so they're, they're really quite approachable. At first, it might be a little intimidating as a medical student just to go up and ask a question of the pharmacist. But I've really been inspired by how great they are as, as teacher. So Jimmy, tell me a little bit about how the clinical pharmacist can really take on a teaching role. Absolutely. And so I think one of the things that we have to realize is that most clinical pharmacists actually, when, they, when they're going through their residency, actually take on a teaching certificate program. And this is going to teach us exactly all the methods that are going to be been shown to be beneficial uh, for all students. So we're, we're, we're trained to figure out a way to teach in a, in a, in a great way that's going to be get beneficial for you. And we try to layer this. So I have a certain way I would teach a medical student. I have a certain way I would teach a first year medical uh, a resident. And I have a certain way that I'll provide information that I'm teaching for at attending level. So we're, I think the key thing for a clinical pharmacist is just to understand it, understand who your audience is and provide information to them in the time that you have allotted. There are certain times where you have 20 seconds to provide this information to someone. And but. There's also times where you have conference on um, your sometimes we call them noon conference where you have a 30 minute slot and being able to layer your your teaching to that. So when answering questions, just understanding your audience, understanding the time you have allotted. And I think the most important thing is the understanding the severity of the patient that you're answering that question on. Because sometimes if you're asking, answering a question, you need to be at the bedside to see what's going on and be able to have drugs with you to be able to make that decision quickly. That's some great advice. And, and for the pharmacists that are listening out there, understanding where the learner that's asking the question is coming from and how much expertise they have on that particular topic. Medical education is really a, a hodgepodge. Of, uh, people are all over the place. Maybe the med student that you're talking to recently heard a lecture about high-dose nitroglycerin, and you're preaching to the choir about how high that dose might be when you start talking about 400 mic doses and, and things like that. Or perhaps they've never heard of this before. And honestly, it, it without asking, it doesn't really tell you exactly how far along they are. So, so always check the, the knowledge on that specific level because there are huge gaps, even in some fairly advanced residents or attendings, about individual therapies. And some other folks might be quite cutting edge. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I've tried to take on. And I've been very fortunate with my training. And that created the formation of this project I call uh, Pharmacy Friday Pearls, where what I would do is I would take a topic and I would have a front and back paper. And I would do a very, very brief review of the disease state, um, give you some pharmacology, and then very briefly go over some evidence. And I like to provide these mini reviews of topics because I think it helps overall. It helps me with gathering information and provide in a succinct way. And I think it helped medical students and residents be able to get information very quickly, understand how to apply it to the patient. And when it makes it a lot better to start conversations with your attending, because now you've reviewed this information, you've been studying for step, you've been doing these different things. And now you have more information from a pharmacy standpoint, you have your diagnostic component that you have, you've been studying for. And when you're collaborating with your, your team, it, it makes for a succinct learning of this particular topic. I love it. One thing that a lot of clinical pharmacists seem to be very good at is utilizing other resources. So a lot of medical students have never heard of things like LexiComp and some other tools that y'all have in your toolkit. What what are some ways that, that the clinical pharmacists can help with early learners in utilizing these resources that pharmacists use? Absolutely. One, one of the key things that a lot of pharmacists joke about is being up to date. <laughs> and it's, it's one thing, you know, you, you have a certain thing and say, well, up to date says this. And like, that's, that's a phenomenal first start. Now, 
their up to date has a list of those resources going to be in their in a reference component. How do you get those? Most uh, learners are going to have access to your particular institution's um, PubMed account. Um, allow you to have access to either Micromedics or LexiComp. I think utilizing those, and also a lot of times you have access to put those things on your mobile devices. So I ask every pharmacy student, and I I definitely will recommend this for every medical profession that's out there to have a drug resource on your phone. For the most part, again, you should be able to obtain that for free, and even you have to pay for. Um, again, we're talking less than 30 bucks. So again, having these things on your phone. So Micromedics and Lexicom is going to be your drug references of choice. That's going to provide you with the uh, dosing of choice for a particular indication. And it also gives you some key information that people don't like to talk about. These funny words like pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics, you know, things that don't, doesn't seem cool, but you want to know how fast it's going to work. Uh, I could tell you, I asked a medical student, say, hey, how fast do you think you know, Ativan works. And it's like, oh, immediately. And I was like, sorry to tell you, if you look in this section here, it's five to 15 minutes according to Lexicom. And if you have that information beforehand when you're making decisions, it's going to be phenomenal. So using things like that, being able to utilize things like Clinical Key, which is another resource that can combine books and journals and is really phenomenal. And I'm pretty sure most people are familiar with Access Medicine. We also have Access Pharmacy. So we have a lot of these resources that we can use and I think it's just something that pharmacists just have a niche in is gathering data and trying to be being able to present that data. So definitely Micromedics, Lexicomp, continue with your up, up to date. I'm pretty sure most medical students and residents are finally, you know, pretty familiar with that. That's awesome. I also want to put in a, a quick plug for, for pharmacists to reach out to visiting medical students in particular and helping them with the local EHR. So electronic health records can be quite mystifying. Uh, even if you've used the same EHR at your hospital, there's probably going to be some local tweaks. And so the pharmacists, without exception, all know the EHR exceptionally well. So giving them some pointers about how is it that I can pull up what medications this person's been prescribed in the past? How can I find that quickly in the chart? Jimmy, I had a, a, some questions for you. W- what are some pitfalls that you've seen about the incorrect interactions between clinicians and clinical pharmacists? I think it's going to be something that goes both ways. Um, waiting to ask for advice is going to be a key thing for, you know, medical providers. And I think the same thing is going to be for pharmacists. If you notice something, waiting not to be involved as well. So I think that's going to be a key thing. But I, I love being involved early on. Hey, we have a patient coming in. They have respiratory distress. I, I hear they have a history of COPD. You know, what things should I have at the bedside? So from that standpoint, we can already kind of have our brains primed to assist. And maybe I can throw a few things out there before the attending walks in and say, hey, make sure you have your naps on board. Uh, what naps? So maybe I'm using two. I'm being too familiar. Like, Make sure you have albuterol, maybe epitropium, having these things available and waiting to ask for advice may be something that is a challenge because we can't help if we don't know. That's really key. I, I practiced for five and a half years before y'all showed up. And so there are times where there'll be like a real stumper, like, a oh, man, I don't know which antibiotic to use or, or oh, that person's really sick. Which way should I go with this? And I'll agonize about it for five, ten minutes. And then I'll remember like, oh, yeah, we have <laughs> clinical pharmacists. This is what they do for a living. Awesome. And then I'll, I'll ask them. And, and the answer is either always like, oh, I, I this is what I would recommend. Here's a clear answer. Or uh, I'm not sure that's tough. I'll get back to you in a few minutes. So offloading that that pharmacology question to them so I can go back to the bedside, see the patient some more, and then collaborating with them. So by, by not collaborating fully, by forgetting that, that resource was there, 
uh, or being hesitant in any way to ask them for their advice, I really shot myself in the foot and delayed care. And that's one thing that comes up quite often because a lot of times I think a lot of providers and medical students, they don't know what we can do or what we know. And I, I tell people all the time, I was like, if there's any way impossible that a drug is involved, please involve us and we'll try our best. And the great thing about a pharmacist and one of the key characteristics about us is we will tell you what we can't do. <laughs> if it's if it if, if it's beyond our scope and if it's something that we think that, you know, is, you know, not the best for us, one thing we would do is tell you what we can't do. So involve us early um, and let us know how we can help you. Um, sometimes we think, oh, well, maybe just a dosing question. said, well, also, I can give you a completely different antibiotic. I can give you a completely different, you know, question or just change things up a little bit. So involve us early, collaborate fully. And pharmacists, throw yourself out there. Again, if you hear something, if you hear in the background, hey, this patient is going to get Cipro for this UTI that they failed therapy on seven times, you know, involve yourself in there and just understand that you want to collaborate at, at, at the same uh, velocity, I would say, as you want your product to collaborate with you. I'll suppress the urge to have yet another rant against fluoroquinolones and how evil they are. Are in almost all situations. Uh, another pitfall I've, I've seen folks fall into is, is a lot of, of clinical pharmacists are very hands-on. Some of them have had back backgrounds either in nursing or pre-hospital environments. And so it's not unusual to see them doing a lot of things that they've been trained to do, such as priming IV lines and things like that. That's entirely appropriate as long as you don't let those tasks distract them from what they're doing. So many of them, they're, they're such team players that, yeah, they'll absolutely hop on a chest and do chest compressions or something like that. But you have to ask yourself sometimes, am I really utilizing them to their fullest if they're doing that as opposed to getting the next round of drugs ready uh, while running a code? And just making sure that I'm using them for what they're, they're best at as opposed to what is almost always a team player person ready to help out what they could do, but it might be better to have another person doing that task. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. And I think it's something that clinical pharmacists, depending on their background and their level of training, can fall into. You you definitely want to be a team player because some of those tasks help us get some other clinical questions later on. If you're doing chest compressions, I guarantee later on that day, you may get more questions from that nurse or that provider. So uh, definitely, we want to do whatever we can to help you guys. Uh, but pharmacists and just the team always remember what's our primary role and don't let it, that fall into you know dist any distractions. So one of the pleasant surprises I've had locally is the expansion of what our clinical pharmacists are doing beyond what I would have previously thought was was what their main task was. So, Jimmy, could you elaborate a little bit about things that y'all have done outside of the main answering clinical questions role that you've had? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key things that comes up is going to be protocols and just optimizing what we already have down there. Um, there are constantly new medications that have been added to market or there's medication that was on drug shortages that we took off our formulary. So we're just adding new medications back to our institution. And that's some of the things that we've been trying to get involved in. Personally, I've, everyone loves and, and have been talking about Joe Peridol for, for months and years now. Now it's, it's back. So one of the key things that a lot of institutions have to do is actually get that drug back on formulary. And it's a very long process to make that happen. So anytime you say you want something, I don't just go to my boss and say, hey, can you order this? And can you put it back? going, no, I have to do, you know, a medication review. I have to make a drug, a drug monograph. I have to get it approved through seven committees to get it back to you. And those are the things that we can do. Also looking at different protocols, things that you've been doing, and as we've always done it this way, like high dose, high dose nitroglycerin for patients that have pulmonary edema. 
you, we, we know what we want to do to nurse know, but how do you make a protocol that makes it safe for everyone to use and for your consultants don't come down and say, hey, you're trying to use, use this drug inappropriately. We've never done it this way. So creating a protocol with the evidence is also something that helps out as well. Also, the use of medications through a peripheral line. The ED is not a place that where we can get central access very quickly. And a lot of the times, the medications that we're going to be using needs to be given rather quickly. And we don't have the time to do those things. So having things like hypertonic saline on, on board, if, if your patient's seizing and their sodium is 100, you know, I, I, I would not ask you to place a central line prior to doing anything for that patient. So we've been creating protocols to make sure that we've looked at the data and said, well, we can give up to this many boluses through a peripheral access, and then we can transition to a central line after that. So we've been working on those things. It's just been, it's been a phenomenal process. Other things like reviewing of um, antibiotic sensitivities for culture callbacks. A lot of pharmacists have been involved in this, and I would like to say that a lot of times it's more than just us taking over the task. There has to be a protocol written for that as well, and just a collaborative practice agreement in, in a sense. I love that, Jimmy. And one of the biggest helps that I've seen with our clinical pharmacists has been the proactive identification of problems. I can't tell you how awesome it is when I'm running a code or someone's hypotensive and then I ask for a drug and Jimmy's already got it in his hand. He's like waving like, here, here it is. Uh, so for the, the pharmacists that are out there, uh, it's almost always been the case that, that them sort of hanging in the back and seeing some way that they could have participated more fully. It's almost always been being more shy or sheepish has been the issue for me personally than them being too upfront with the suggestion. Because there could be some, you know, reason why, no, I didn't want another syringe of epinephrine and we can talk about it later. But having that option suggested to me and prompted, it often jogs my, my, my memory of, oh yeah, it has been a few minutes since I gave the last dose. For the medical students and, and junior residents that are listening, Utilizing this to its fullest is great. You know, why is it that they reach for those intubation meds? Because if you're not careful, you can sort of go to rely too much on your clinical pharmacist. And then when you have to unfortunately operate in a shop that doesn't have them, you may not be fully prepared to select your own intubation drugs. So after that intubation, talk to them. Why is it exactly that you suggested that dose of that medicine? Why, why didn't you choose something else? Picking their brain a little bit, you'll learn a great deal and you'll apply it clinically. So there's an amazing anchor about how it is that you'll do something similar the next time a similar presentation happens. Absolutely. And that's one thing that we try to pride ourselves on. And I've said it a few times, the whole brain to vein thing. And I try to be proactive. But I think one thing that we have to be careful with as clinical pharmacists is the over-reliance on our information without explaining. Um, RSI meds is a key thing. We're getting ready to do things. We don't have much time. And someone says, okay, I want 100 of Atomidate and 20 of Sucks. And you say, well, uh, it's, it's the other way around, but I know what you mean. I have it drawn up and ready to go. We can talk about it after. And just having resources available, having printouts of what are the, the impacts of our assignments on hemodynamics? What are these different things that are going on? So being able to provide your team with information, because I want them to have the knowledge that I have. So once they go somewhere else, or if you're not a 24-hour shop, as most places are for ED pharmacists, they can provide the same level or even better care because you've not only helped the patient at that time, but you helped your team be smarter, more efficient, and just overall a, a safer environment. That's awesome, Jimmy. 
So just to summarize a few bits before we, we say goodbye, it's been such an awesome time chatting with you, Jimmy. So we need to identify tasks that clinical pharmacists can do in the emergency department, have an expansive idea of how they can apply their massive pharmacology knowledge to the clinical situation. It's really critical that as clinicians, we approach them early with with any questions that we have, as well as for them to be proactive and bringing up things that's within their expertise. As clinicians, we have to be receptive to the feedback and welcome their expertise. This doesn't need to be an arm wrestling match, but really a collaboration in the truest sense. There's things that we might know from our training that they don't and vice versa. And so collaborating and getting your ego out of the way is going to be absolutely critical. And then expanding their role in the greater hospital. They've been such a huge advocate for us about expanding our protocols, getting new drugs that we need, and really just tightening up all of our care. Yeah, I think you summarized everything perfectly. I just I encourage uh, students, pharmacy and medical, just to kind of look at each other and realize that we have training that's a little different. But I think of it as a puzzle that's missing one piece. And I want to add my one piece to your puzzle to make it complete. And I want you to give your information to me that help me understand why we're doing certain things. So please involve us early. Please, um, pharmacists, be proactive and just just everyone collaborate together and just remember the last thing just to focus on the patient. So thank you. Thanks, Jimmy. Look forward to the next time we chat. As usual, I'd like to thank all of you for listening to another episode of the Farm So Heart podcast. I've put everything on the website at farmsoheart.com. Please follow us on Twitter at farm underscore hard. And thank you guys. And remember, you don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to be a nurse. You don't have to work in the ED. But everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Weezy out of here. Weezy out of here.